Welcome to Tree Talking Time, where we talk all things tree dogs. From the smallest fights to the largest hounds, drink squirrels to bears and everything in between. And from time to time, we might even run a little fast game. I got photos there here. I'll show you some of that I I had bred. Yeah, and they were professional photos. We never had them framed yet. Yeah, and because um, I was proud of my blue dogs, suit yeah. ears and stuff. Now I I started uh, with just mediocre coon dogs, foxhounds. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was about ten years old, I started hunting on my own. Yeah on the farm down there um my dad gave me a uh, boundary yep you go no further than what we called the duck pens because on a ranch they had a eleven thousand acres of um regulated ground for ducks and pheasant shooting for the boss down in texas they would fly them dogs up and after that we could gun it Mm -hmm. after he was finished and all but they'd stock it every year nice so uh, yeah, I just got started with my old hounds and uh, carrying old coal oil lantern, <laughs> scared to death at times, you know, not mm. knowing what you're going to run into. Now, did your dad have hounds? No. He he would rabbit hunt sometimes, but he was never a hunter. What made you want hounds then? Um, uh, mostly with, I had two uncles that were, were coon hunters down south. Okay. Uh, my mother's brother was was an old mountain boy. He he lived in the mountains and had cur dogs and uh, registered dogs, coon and and um, mountain curs and stuff. Okay. So I guess it it's it just in the blood, you mm-hmm. know. And then my other uncle, which was my father's uncle, um, he moved up from Virginia when Dad and them all moved up to the ranch at that time and. Uh, he used to manage a tree farm over there toward Marshallton, um, and he kept old coon dogs in there. And, and uh, you know, I, I'd get to go on the weekends with them or something like that. But yeah. other, well, otherwise, I, I hunted every night away from home <laughs> down to Big Creek. Yep. Now, did you start? Did your uncle have blue ticks? No, he uh, he had black and tans, and then he ended up with walkers. And uh, he he would hunt anything, mm-hmm. you know. But I think his probably his most uh, favorable dog was a Walker dog he raised from a pup. Okay. And um, they were out of some blood that. Uh, well, you don't know him, I guess. Dave Gable used to be up to Coon Club. Yeah, I've heard the name enough. Out of a litter of pups, out of that him and Clarence Foster had both mm-hmm. gotten dogs, and they made coon dogs. Yeah, everything I've heard, uh, they both. Were pretty good coon hunters and always had good dogs. Yeah, yeah. They like you say, and they they were troublemakers <laughs> at times. You know, just ordinary. Yeah, oh, that's all. They were just ordinary. Because Clarence is uh, Kevin's grandfather. Kevin's grandfather. And and he'd start <laughs> trouble, <laughs> and then from a, from the club or whatever, and, and then on their way home, because my uncle and him always rode together, and Clarence would say. Why did I do that? <laughs> but it it was in his blood, you know, just to be ornery like that. Yep. But um, what made you lean towards blue ticks then? I I had a red bone that belonged to my uncle. Um, he couldn't hunt him, and I hunted him, and um, he he just wasn't my cup of tea, so to speak. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then I got a black and tan out of a pound one time. It was a real nice sound, but he was a skunk dog. <laughs> and then finally, my uncle had this blue tick pup. Uh, he was out of Charlie Hockenberry blood up brain. Okay. And um, I think he was about five, six months old, and his boys run over him with a motorcycle. Ooh and fractured a leg and he didn't want to nurse him back to health so he gave him to me there you go and um i healed him up and stuff and he just started showing coon after coon after coon how old were you about by this time i was probably 15 16 years old something okay. like that and um i used to take and skin my coons out in, in this like tack them on the side of a barn. Mm -hmm. And I had probably 25, 30 coon on that barn. And another fellow, which was a distant relation way back, um, he was a coon hunter from down south. Um, I did it mainly to tease him <laughs> because he told me the dog would never be any good. Yeah. And I hunted him with him one night and the dog treated a coon. And like I said, I was young. He wouldn't go to the dog. Now, he had red bones at that time, Homer Young. And um, he went to his dog. And I split up. And we went. And my dog had a coon. And, and mm -hmm. it was late at night. But he wouldn't go. And I didn't have a rifle or nothing with me at that time. <laughs> and I come back and I told him, I said, Mr. Young, I said, he's treed. And he's got a coon up a tree up there. Oh, he'll get over it, you know. <laughs> so then I, I started mostly hunting by myself for years. Okay. Um, and then that was a downfall if I ever wanted to hunt with somebody because my dog didn't want to honor their dog and this and that. And yeah. And that was back in the day when dog, dogs packed. Yep. yep. So that was normal. But uh, like you say, I hunted by myself mostly all the time. Mm -hmm. And then uh, as I get older, I carried... Um, my sister's boy, he was, I think he was five. I used to carry him on my hip <laughs> coon hunting because he wanted to go and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, but I got hooked on blue dogs, especially when I got the Hockenberry pup because yep. he, he was a natural. There you go. Hey, that's uh, all it takes is one, one good dog. Now, it seems like. I'll, I'll show you a picture of him with my brother from years ago after bed. Um, but yeah, he, he was the, he was the number one ticket that got me hooked into coon hunt. There you go. Well, before we get too far into this, why don't you introduce yourself? Well, my name's Rocky Dello. I'm 73 years old now, crippled up, can't <laughs> hunt no more. I got a boy hunting a hound for me. I still have a blue dog. And he's got a nice blue dog. And, um. He's got a nice mouth. Oh, he's loud. Yes. I think. Um, I wanted to get, we, so we just had a buddy hunt a couple of weeks ago and of course your blue dog treat and <clears throat> I was excited to get some pictures and videos, but unfortunately we were not quite where we were supposed to be and we were right behind the house. So we yeah. had to get him and get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I heard him treeing from where I was and stuff and I couldn't figure out, I said, well, why hadn't somebody got to him yet? Because he'd been there for a good while. Because he was 600 yards from us. Yeah. And, but that's and the wrong way. That's rough country up in there. Them yeah. Because it, it was down, then back up. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, I've walked every inch of that country, all over that country down in there. You told us to come out, you know, on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, go down in there, come out this other side. Yeah. Them dogs went the other opposite way. But, uh, but I, like you say, I got hooked on blue dogs and that, that was it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to raise my own. Yep. That's one thing that I, one thing I really liked early on when I met you and you told me is like from early on, you perpetuated a line of dogs up until what, Nell? Um, probably up until about six years ago mm-hmm. when I, before I moved up here. Yeah. Uh, cause I, I lost my last stud dog and I never replaced him. Mm-hmm. I still had a couple good bitches, yep. but I just never searched for a, um, a male dog of, you know, yeah. that was of my liking. I'll put it that way. So I, I bought a couple outcrosses. Okay. Um, and the one I did raise a litter of pups off of, uh, to my bitch, mm-hmm. which made pretty decent coon dogs. So what, what was the last dog you had at your line? Let me see. Was it Mona? Yeah, well, Mona, Mona would have been, yes, because she would have went back into um, a Grand Night Champion dog that Wade Miller had at one time, uh, which was Palmer, uh, Palmer Bub breeding. Okay. Uh, and then um, the last of my my litters, which I, I crossed my Yutchman bitch with um, Aaron Sh- Peter Shimes, um Keystone Blue. Okay. All those pups made coon dogs, decent mm-hmm. dogs. I mean, not yeah. world beaters, but yeah, I'm a pleasure hunter. Yep. I, I'll put it that way. No, and that's the thing. It's like you never had a big kennel. It's not like you really campaign dogs. But I just think it was, I think it's pretty cool to, to yeah. perpetuate a line for, when, what would you say you started, when you started raising pups and, you know, keeping your own dogs? Let's see, the John dog was back in the 60s, probably, probably early 60s or somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so for roughly 50 years? Oh, heck, yeah, I, I've had hounds for... 60 years or better now, anyway. No, but I'm saying, but for yeah. 50 of it, you've, you kept dogs. I kept, yeah. The same line of dogs. Yeah. Which I, I, I just think that's pretty cool, because even most of the other guys around here, you know, don't really raise pups. Or, no, they buy out all yeah. the time or something like that. And uh, My dad always told me, he said, when you're old enough that you can afford to feed your dogs, you can have as many as you want here. <laughs> And I had 12 at one time, but, wow. but part of them were foxhounds Okay, because I had a joint pack with a buddy of mine. Mm-hmm. And then I finally let him have all my foxhounds and I just went straight with my coon dogs. Okay. But, um, yeah, it, it's been a long road. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll put it away and, and I, I'd love to do it again, Yeah, but you know, it's not going to happen now. Let's touch on your foxhounds for a little second, because I didn't even know you had foxhounds, personally. Yeah. yeah. Now, was fox hunting, for all the listeners, you know, that listen to the, I forget what number episode it is, but with Mackenzie and, and Rich Gable, um, Rocky hunted and lived in the same area as where Mackenzie hunts. Yeah, well, we're, we were Unionville area. Yep. And that's where the big pack is, Cheshire mm-hmm. Hounds, yep. they, which was English, but now I think they're more Penn Meridale Hound. There's a lot of American in it. Yeah. What he told me. Yeah. Um, but it used to be all English hounds when Mrs. Hannum was alive. Okay. 
she um, and she wouldn't run a joint pack. She mm-hmm. run males one day, females the next day. Okay, and wouldn't run a joint pack with another meat either. Mm-hmm. Um, I started out with me- mediocre foxhounds, so to speak. Uh, at that time, some of them might even tree a coon, you know. <laughs> so then you you. They excel in running fox better than they would coons, so we just break them over and use them on fox running only and not fool with the coon end of it. Yeah. So it was a um, quarrel spread pack, mine. And then um, Harry Chesson, which is dead and gone, which was a good friend of mine, he had the the biggest pack. We had about 35 to 40 hounds at one time, fox hounds, Mm -hmm. farmer pack. Yep. Hunt them from a pickup truck. Okay, so you didn't hunt off a horseback. Uh, I did at times. Okay. Um, but with our farmer pack, Harry was always walking, or I would drive the truck mm-hmm. and pick him up at one end to the other because it was kind of neat. And he wouldn't take hounds down to Maryland on Easter Monday for the idea if he lost a hound, he'd have to go all the way back to get it, you know, yeah. sometime. Uh, but that was a hoot down there. I mean, you have three or four states coming together. Each guy might only have five or six hounds in a truck. So you got Jersey, Delaware, uh, Virginia, New York. Oh, wow. And they dump out on these fox. And the fox down there would run completely different than what it does up here. Really? They got all that sandy soil. Yep. So, and, and most of it was soybean country. Mm-hmm. But that fox would take them and go, but them hounds just kind of, it was a fast pace. Okay. uh, Because of that loose sandy soil, I guess. Mm -hmm. And they let them hounds run until they saw that fox was getting tired. And say, say you got five different packs down there hunting different places. Yeah. And these guys would knock their hounds off so they wouldn't kill the fox. Mm Mm-hmm. And leave him and go on. And then somebody else later on might come, you know, an hour or two or something like that, come in and, and dump in a, what I would call a cover um, somewhere and, and maybe hit that fox again and then run him a little bit. Yeah. But they took care of them fox, you know, because that mm-hmm. was their livelihood, so to speak. Oh, yeah. But it was all farmer pack. But okay. it, it was a blast. But you could be sitting on them secondary roads, which – down there, it looked like I-95 on a secondary road, you know. <laughs> but to hear 80 hounds come up one of them black marshes out there. Yeah. It, 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 this music to the ear to this old boy. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of people couldn't understand, you know, why, why this? I said, Sounds good. It's, it's, it's in the blood, that's all. Yep. But, um, and like I say, I, I finally let my hounds go to Harry and... And then he passed away here several years back. Um, retired with the idea that he would have several years of having fun, but mm-hmm. he didn't last long. Unfortunately. Yeah. Now, I kind of want to rewind a little bit because you mentioned about having that boundary of the duck farm, but you've told me a story a time or two about getting in trouble because uh, you didn't always necessarily I, maintain I that boundary. My dad would meet me, <laughs> and I'd say, uh-oh, it's over now. <laughs> But, um, yeah, that, that, that duck pens, what I call it, uh, where we used to have like 600 wild mallard ducks and had to 
pen to hold them in for now and then let them out and I had feed troughs and all this and that and mm-hmm. that was the boundary and that was probably oh at the max 400 yards 500 yards from our barn okay down the creek and he said you go no further than that duck pen <laughs> well my old hound several times went all the way into that conservancy that big woods down in there <laughs> the laurels and he caught me coming out one night and it was morning <laughs> hours <laughs> and it just looked like the ghost standing there and i said uh-oh i'm done now <laughs> boy i told you you don't go any farther than this here i said but pop i said my hound treed down there <laughs> but uh it, it it was all over water over the dam so to speak he mm-hmm. he never whipped me or anything i figured he would but yeah did your brother hunt with you? Uh, my brother was scared of the dark. <laughs> and they, they went one night with me, and um, i no sooner pick up my foot walking, and his foot was in my footstep. That's, <laughs> that's how close he was. <laughs> Neither one. Now, my older brother is, he'll deer hunt, but he, he doesn't hunt anything like I did. Yeah. And it's been that way for years, like say. And then my youngest brother, he, he could give two hoots. Okay. About hunting. Gotcha. Yeah. He'd like to play with cars or something like that more than he would ever mm-hmm. to hunt. But it used to get a lot of the, the local kids. Yeah. Would want to go along once in a while. And then when one neighbor, he turned 16, I had gave him uh, a good puppy. And I, I knew, I said, I have somebody drive a pickup truck and drop me off at this end of this woods and pick me up at the other end. Mm-hmm. Well, that didn't last long. Driver's <laughs> license and his girlfriend. Yep. And he gave me the dog back. <laughs> well, that's what happened with uh, Rebel's sister. Yeah. She's in, she ended up being a yard dog because uh, my brother-in-law was hunting with me, and that's when he got the pup, and then, then he got his driver's license. And yeah. He no longer needed me to cart him around, so he quit coon hunting. Makes a difference, don't it? Yep. When he could get around himself. Yeah. She she just became a yard dog at that point. Yeah. Uh, but I've been been fortunate about my my dogs that I raised that they weren't really any problem with trash like mm-hmm. running fox or deer. Very seldom I ever have any problem with them. On an outcross, I've had problems. Okay. Um, not not bragging, but it just mm-hmm. seemed that way. Yeah. Oh, uh, and uh, I, I've had some some good ones that could have made, could have put titles on them. Yeah. But it didn't. It don't interest me. I'm pleasure. Yeah. So you've never really hunted the night hunts. I I entered a couple um, Lancaster County when they were in progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to guide for them, and I said, "Well, I'll just put a dog in. Just you know, I'm a yeah. walk and." I made a first place win on her. I entered my second one, same situation, and put a first place on her, and and never do any more with them. <laughs> uh, I said I'm I'm guiding them. Well, I, I just let them out and let them hunt, you know. Yeah. But uh, no, it never really interests me. I was in uh, hunted Sellersville, and I was probably. 16, 17 years old, 
and I'll show you the picture that will hound. Uh, he he was good, uh, but I kind of got a raw deal up there. Um, dog treed across that Perkyomis Creek, and the judge wouldn't go to the tree because he didn't have boots on. <laughs> and Dave Gable was in that hunt. He went across, and my dog was split treed and had a coon in each tree. Mm-hmm. And all they would do is circle my points because the judge wouldn't go over. And then I, I have a tendency to have a temper. And <laughs> really, um, yeah, um, <laughs> would have never guessed that, Rocky. <laughs> when I went into clubhouse, the the older gentleman that was um, master, I guess, I I blew up. Because the judge wouldn't go to the dog. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was a bridge not far up. He could have walked around, and he didn't do it. Yeah. And um, then they told me, he said, well, you're a poor sport. And I belong, or belonged to that club at one time. My mm-hmm. uncle and I did. And um, I, I just I come off of biting my tongue. <laughs> but I never, never went back to put a dog in the hunt or anything like that. I've been up a time or two. but Yeah. Um, but the judge that night, his hound took a deer off of Perky Omens all the way into what they called Silverville or something up in there toward Harleysville, back up in that um, country up in there. Gotcha. And they picked him up like three mountains over, so to speak. <laughs> he threw him right back in the hunt. How do you throw? Is it a three-hour cast? No, it was two-hour or whatever. Um it's been so long ago, I, I really, I can't say that it was not a three hour, I know. I'm just saying, how in the world do you find a dog and get back in time? Well, like you said, they brought him back and put him back <laughs> in the hunt. So, Was that Bodkins? <laughs> no, it wasn't Bodkins. Jimmy's piece of work. He is. You were telling me a story about you got a dog out of like Missouri or something, crossed it into yours or something. Yeah. Um, Buddy of mine brought a big male dog in here from Missouri, an old hound called Dark Hollow Doc. Okay. And I guess he was pretty well known. Mike lived in Jersey at that time, and I was up here. Uh, We hunted the dog right off the plane that night. And we are in the farm that I had managed at that time, and we lost him. He, he he never come in, but the guy said, said, hunt him right off the plane. He said, it'd be no problem. <laughs> well, then I get a phone call the next morning, and here Township Police had him and had already taken him to the SPCA. Now, he was three-year-old, but he was an older-looking blue dog, okay. you know, the older style. And um, they said they found him standing in the middle of the road, on a Frog Hollow Road. I said, you took him out of my lawns, what you did, <laughs> because Frog Hollow was down at the covered bridge right below the, where I lived up at the, the old office at the time. Mm-hmm. I couldn't pick him up until Monday. SPCA wouldn't let me get him until Monday. So I went over, and um, my daughter was with me, and she was really young. And I go in and explain why I was there. And the lady at the desk, she said, um, we'll have to ask you to go back and identify. So we go back. Here's a bowl kibble sitting outside the 
this kennel and stuff. And I just said, Doc, well, he come unglued. And the lady said, well, he must know you. <laughs> and I just said, no, he don't. You know? Yeah. But I had my collar on him, and I had Mike had his collar on him. Mm-hmm. So really, there was two identifications on him. To, yeah. You know. So it comes back that <clears throat> they were doing the kennel work, and uh, this would cost me a $25 donation. <laughs> well, now that, that started. And uh, my daughter told her mom, said, I saw dad's face turn red. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean a donation? Well, before you can take the dog, you have to give us $25. Doesn't sound like much of a donation. I, I, that's, I fired right <laughs> off. I said, this sounds like a business to me, not a donation. That I can't take the dog if I don't pay this $25? No. I said, well, what if the dog doesn't belong to me? Well, we can't release him to you at all. And I said, Okay. So I gave him Mike's number, and the tag was right on the dog. Mm-hmm. I said, this is this guy that is really in control of this dog, so to speak. Yeah. So he was living in Woodstown, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So the lady says, we'll call. So she gets on the phone and proceeds to, well, I thought she was talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. And... She comes back. She said that we talked to uh, Mrs. Norris, and she said it was quite all right that you pay the the donation, and they'll reimburse you for it. And I'm saying, you know, (laughs) there's something right or wrong here. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I did. And, And then I really, they got upset when they asked me why I had the dog. I said I was going to raise puppies, a litter of puppies. Well, that mm-hmm. didn't go over well at all, but that's water over the dam. Yeah. So I get the dog, come home. I call Mike. I said, the lady says she talked to Mary Ellen. He said, what? <laughs> I said, she was on the phone that she had talked to your wife and said it was quite all right for me to pay the donation so I could get the hound out of the pound. He said, she did not talk to my wife. Said she talked to an answering machine. <laughs> and uh, that, that really turned me against the SPCA, period. I'm sure you were hot. You know. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's, you know. But he was here to breed a bitch, and we bred the bitch, and mm-hmm. the puppies made well. Good deal. Oh, my bitch. So then he went back to Missouri. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, did you, as you were looking for outcrosses and you were breeding dogs, did you follow any particular line of dogs? Were you? No, Aaron had a line of dogs that, that I knew of because, um, you know, he was through um, oh, the old fellow out, out west here. His dogs are mostly Smoky River, aren't they? Hmm? Aren't Aaron's dogs mostly Smoky River? A lot of mine were Smoky River. That's what I started out with, with mm-hmm. Smoky River and, and uh, Vaughn Blood. Okay. Um, I got papers on some of my old dogs here somewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, Aaron's dog, Warren Hauser. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I kept hearing about this uh, Welsh Mountain Blue, about having such a mouth on him, but I I did not like his mouth. He he wasn't houndy to me, mm-hmm. uh, but I bred him to my uh, Yutchman bitch. Mm-hmm. She put the mouth on him okay. and brought it all back because they kind of bred that out of them dogs. Um, they bred them for speed, and mm-hmm. it was just like the hammer blood. Okay. You know, they were breeding for speed, and there was a little bit of salt and pepper here and there, you know, <laughs> uh, trying to get faster dogs. And um, But that litter, like you say, everything turned out nice on it. And then my neglect, I just, on my stud dog, the last one I had, I just let it go and, and never mm-hmm. come back. But I, I would breed a, maybe a bitch maybe ever two three years yeah just to replace a young dog for me or something like that and then i'd mm-hmm. sell the rest of them um i promised uh well nathan yeah that duke dog he had yep he he was a decent coon dog he was good and i had promised them boys a puppy out of that litter and it didn't happen that one time and then the second time um i gave him choice mm-hmm. And of course, he took my dog. <laughs> but I hunted with. I knew the dog, you know. Yeah, I never got to hunt with him. Uh, he he was loud, but he was a tree dog. Once yeah. he hooked in, well, he he was loud and he stayed. Mm-hmm. But um, never got hunted like he should have been. But he was a natural. Yeah, I mean, he didn't have to break him off anything and this and that. Mm-hmm. But it's just a long process that you get to look back on now. Yep. Wish you could do it again. Definitely. Now, one thing that's not even hound related that I do kind of want to talk about, just because I think it's kind of cool, is uh, the fact that you were a cowboy, which you know, <laughs> we're, we're in southeastern Pennsylvania. And yeah. That, you know, you were a legitimate cowboy. Yeah. Which is not really heard of. <laughs> yeah. Part of the Chester County Cowboys, which division of king ranch up here mm-hmm. which was doe run which i don't think a lot of people especially nowadays don't realize that there was a division of king ranch here <clears throat> ben i don't know how it's going to be set up or whatever it's been over three years um a lady by the name of kathleen hood is doing a book mm-hmm. uh, on doe run and the ranch and stuff okay. She finally, it's already, I think it's over here, Mascots being published. Um, but I carried all my paraphernalia from here, my saddles, my chaps, and, and all kind of ranch stuff that was issued me when I was a cowboy there. Yep. Um, to her meeting several times. Mm-hmm. And it's been three, coming four years, and it's going to mature now, I understand, hopefully before Christmas. But I don't know how this book's going to be. She, uh, Kenny Young and I, which was my cousin, he worked on the ranch years back. Um, We were interviewed and taped and this and that. and Mm -hmm. uh, So it's going to be interesting to see what it is. And, And Kenny passed away, so... That kind of put a knot in things. Yeah. Uh, but that's supposed to be coming out, she said, I think, toward Christmas, if okay. I'm not mistaken. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? I mean, we don't have to get into the nitty-gritty yeah. details of it, but just a little bit about the about the ranch and kind of what you did and how long you worked there. Well, I, I worked there since I was 13 years old, really. Uh, mm-hmm. 
on the weekends and stuff. Um, just helping the odds and ends. Uh, my father and them, they used to feed pellets to the cattle out in the fields with the okay. trucks and tracks. And, but when I started, I was pretty much put on a horse at that time. Mm-hmm. But your, your, your duties were whatever needed to be done. And a lot of the schoolboys were put on um, weed eating, cutting all them miles and miles of fence out and stuff like that. Yep. Then as you grow up, you had your driver's license. You got it started hauling corn and hay and stuff for the big silos and stuff because we had them large feedlots. Yep. Um, the cattle were shipped up here normally in around the 1st of May from Texas. They would come up on rail. Mm-hmm. and. Um, <clears throat> it would be a daybreak thing when we we would left to ride horses over to the rail station and stuff. Cattle would be unloaded, rested, let them water and stuff. And, and I, I I got tapes I could show you more than than telling you. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? The last cattle drive I have a tape of that and all this and wow. that. Um, it, it's interesting to people that mm-hmm. didn't know. Yeah. But with this book going on. She had tours, I think three, four tours, which the um, Historical Society of Chester County got in on it. Mm -hmm. And we had to take tours, Kenny and I. We took four buses that night apiece (laughs) from from South Brandywine School down there uh, to some of the cattle country and through Doe Run. Mm -hmm. Because the village of Doe Run was of importance. Mm -hmm to this in this book and she she really did her homework this lady did yeah and uh so we had to tour the pens and all this and that and um so that that'll be part of that there but our, our ranch life so to speak they was like 17 families oh wow that worked on the ranch um they took care of us we were supplied a house um, they gave you milk and beef and stuff a year. I mean, it, it, it wasn't good pay, so to speak, but you made yeah. a living. Yeah. But it was all cattle country. Um, they'd ship up here anywhere from 4,800 to, to 5,600 head of steers every year, which would be unloaded off that, and we'd put them out to pasture for all summer long. Mm-hmm. Each group had two different pastures to switch them over if, you know, grass got dry. And, mm-hmm. and then through through the summer, when the fall comes, sort of bringing in cattle to fatten them, which would be in the, most of it's gone now down there, the big old silos and all yeah. that. That was a landmark. But the lady that bought that property when the ranch sold out and the Brandywine Conservancy got, some, um, I forget how many hundred acres of it and stuff, uh, she had those silos tore down okay, uh, because they were a hazard, so to speak, but they were a landmark. Mm-hmm. If you'd ever say anything to anybody, they, and they'd come back, they'd looking for that big old blue harvester silo, and yeah. it was four of those and, and uh, three big stave silos there. But it, it was just a merry-go-around of, of raising the cattle, shifting around and all. Mm-hmm. And then toward the end, they got into... Um, they shipped up, I think it was 2,800 head of brood cows. Okay. So we went all cow and calf operation, started mm-hmm. raising up here, and then they shipped us some bulls back and this and that. 
Uh, I'd do it all over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was fun. How long did you work for the ranch? Most of all of my life. Up until I got married there, and then um, that's when I went to full house, or full time with them. Mm-hmm. But like you said, I started when I was 13 and then worked my way through the weekends and yeah. days off from school. And it's nothing like it anymore. No. It's just a once in a lifetime thing. Mm-hmm. No, uh, that country is completely different now. Yep. Now it's all horses. Now, um, the granddaughter, Dee Dee Matz, she bought back some of the Santa Catrudis cattle. Okay. From West Texas, her mother, uh, the one that drowned it down there, mm-hmm. and she'd bought 35 or 40 head, and now she's probably got close to 100 head of them, right along 82. Nice. Which woke everybody up again, you know. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, and it, just from a nostalgia standpoint. Yeah, and a lot of the older people, you know, they now they realize they wish that ranch had never sold. Yeah. Because when you get into this conservancy and stuff like that, uh, they want to tell you what you can do and what you can't do with your mm-hmm. property because they got it in the easement through the conservancy. Yep. Uh, and, and it's horse country. Yep. Most of them don't, don't want to open a gate. Mm-hmm. So they don't want cattle on their properties. Yeah. You know, but that's, that's just parts and bits of it, you know. Yeah. But it was just an everyday uh, farming, you know, and you they bought their hay and their corn and stuff from the local farmers. Okay. And we would haul it in with trucks and store it in them silos and all this. Mm-hmm. It's high moisture corn or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then you get a sore butt <laughs> in, in hot weather. Yeah. Sure. Because you leave in the morning and you wouldn't be home till dark mm-hmm. moving cattle because... It it was quite a span. I think it was they owned like eleven thousand acres and at least another four thousand. Wow! At that time, and then from the pens at at Doe Run where mm-hmm. we park sometimes yep. to hunt, from that to Route Forty One. Okay, that's a long ways cross country. We it would is. we would drive our lead ox start early in the morning and take them all the way to Forty One to move a herd of cattle from one field to the other. Jeez. And then from the feeder pens to the Brandywine, which I don't think you know a whole lot about that country back toward Westchester. No. We'd have to ride from there all the way down and change cattle around. And then um, initially when everything was rested and ready to go, mm-hmm. we would drive 400 head of cattle from Doe Run all the way to the Brandywine. Okay. With lead oxen and oh, probably be about seven of the riders. Some of the schoolboys got to ride a little bit as mm-hmm. flankers, so to speak. Yeah. Or take them to Cochranville that way. It, it, That's, it was a lot of For ground. people that don't realize, we're talking, you know, in a car, what would take you 45, 50 minutes, you know, to get from some of these places. Yeah. But I can imagine on horseback yeah. with that many head of cattle. And then it went went from there all the way to New Bolton Center over on 926 and then mm-hmm. back to Strasburg Road the other way. So that just gave you the whole pipe, so yeah. to speak, or the whole pie itself. No wonder you can hunt it. You got all kinds of country. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, like you say, I, I used to patrol with the boss's nephew and I to kind of keep law and order. Mm-hmm. 
And um, but when I lost it, it's like taking a bag of candy from a kid. <laughs> yeah. And when you get all these new people from the main line moving up here, yeah, it's just they buy completely different. They buy ideas. ten acres and think they own the whole county. Yep. And where uh, I would have permission to hunt at all, even with the new people, you get permission to hunt that piece of property. Mm-hmm. So you're hunting it maybe two days later, and somebody comes out screaming. And here come to find out that piece of property's already been sold. Jeez. Just this that yep. quick. Yep. And they don't want you there. Mm-hmm. They don't want you on the road looking at their horse. <laughs> they're they're paranoid, I guess. Yeah. Now one thing you, you just said about law and order that reminded me. I definitely want to touch on the story of uh the one night you come out of the conservancy. You uh you passed some guys. I'll let you, Johnson gang. Oh yeah. So for, for yeah. the listeners, Ooh. you you want, you want to go dig into some some like you know Dateline stuff. Go look up the Johnston gang. They were a local gang that were bad. Yeah, bad to the bone here, like real bad. Go buy the book. They they there's a book out the Johnston gang. Mm-hmm. My name's not mentioned in there, mm-hmm. but a mention of someone coon hunting. Yeah, and that's you, <laughs> myself, and Wade Miller. This was about one thirty, two o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. and we're we're hunting, and that's that's like eleven hundred acre, nine hundred acres of woods back in there. Yeah, and uh, we're coming out, and this car pulls up. Guys are talking. I knew the boy that got killed. He had one arm, mm-hmm. and um, he was in the car. And I won't mention any names. Mm-hmm. They can find them in the book, probably. Yep. I knew knew the the one guy. And I knew of the driver. Never dawned on me, you know. We went on, mm-hmm. and we're just about out to eighty-two. So we were way down in the in the laurel. Yeah. This car comes out and goes on. I never paid any attention to whether there was anybody missing out of the car or anything like that. But anyway, the next day I was mowing a field we call Tower Hill, coming off 82 in on Apple Grove there. Mm-hmm. And the ranch patrolman or cop come up and talk to me. And how he knew that I knew that them boys were in there that night, you know, but he said, uh, we have county detectives down here who want to talk to you. I said, you know, uh-oh. <laughs> Thinking you're in trouble. Uh-oh. And here, the boy was found floating face down in the swimming hole down in there, just right where I talked to him. So I'm saying, you know, I can't believe this. Mm-hmm. I said, I just talked to him not that many hours ago. Yeah. Well, he's floating naked in there, pool water and all this and that. And um, they asked if I knew who was in the vehicle. And I said, yes. And I mentioned one name. And that was enough. Mm-hmm. This and that. So they pulled me out of there, and I had to give my deposition to what all I had seen and heard and all this and that. And um, here, they they killed that boy shortly after talking to me. Mm-hmm. 
his clothes and all of his jewelry or anything of any money was gone, but his clothes were laying up in the rocks in the, on the side of the swimming hole and stuff in there. But when I, I mentioned the one name, it, it was all over. Yeah. Um, but then um, that, that went on for I don't know how many years. And then uh, the guy that killed that, the boy, he was affiliated with the Johnsons on some of them boys that got killed, you know, all the way through and yep. buried down on Beaver Dam and all this and that, or supposed to be. Yeah. Um, I guess he, he plea bargained with them or something or another. Okay. But it was like eight years or longer. Mm-hmm. And here come county detectives back and the assistant DA and wanted to know if I had anything I wanted to change in my deposition. I said, no. I said, it happened the way it happened. Yeah. And she said, how can you remember this so plain? And and then the other detective said, he has his crap together. You know, (laughs) I won't. Yeah. Um, But then the guy, he pleaded guilty and stuff. And he was, I guess he died in prison. Okay. Um, but he was nasty. I, I know him from down in Modena for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a shame that oh, yeah. one, the one armed boy, he could handle himself. My brother went to school with him and knew him real well and mm-hmm. he could handle himself. And, uh, so I don't know whether two of them took him out or one took him out or how. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's in the book about uh-huh. old coon hunter. Yep. Uh, and, and I didn't ask, you know, I didn't want no names put in it anyway. But mm-hmm. No, I understand. At, uh, and I mean, I think now yeah. enough time's gone by that yeah. most of those guys that were arrested are. are dead and gone dead or and gone still or, doing time, yeah. which I seriously doubt. They're probably all gone. Uh, One of the Johnson boys might still be alive. Yeah. I don't really know. I haven't really. I remember when I was little, when Norman Johnson got out of prison. That's that's when I learned about the Johnston gang. I was yeah, like eight yeah. or nine years old. Yeah, uh, maybe a little older. Maybe I think I was in middle school. Yeah, so I may have been ten or eleven. But my daughter, uh, she has the book or did have a book on mm-hmm. the Johnson gang and how all of it. Yeah, come about or whatever. Yep. But uh, crazy things you get into in the woods. You when that. Three miles through that woods was open from 82 to Mortonville. Mm-hmm. It's unreal what happened back in there. Mm-hmm. They found that one boy dead, sitting in his car, and he had committed suicide. Okay. Rifle laying right on us there, and, and the, the maggots were moving him around. Jeez. Um. But some of the parties that those bikers had back in there, because nobody ever played around back in that country, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, then it was finally closed off. Yeah. There's three different townships there. Okay. And uh, they all come to an agreement to close it off. Mm-hmm. Stolen cars, find them a dime a dozen, setting up them old trails in there and stuff. Jeez. Stripped down and all this and that. Right yeah, and a lot of a lot of history in that country. You get to looking. Yep. 
and you were there for a lot of it. I was there for all of it. So until you moved here, you never lived, what, more than how far from where I you were? I was born? 69 years down there. And, you know, what, like a two-mile square? Like you've never moved out of that square until? No. They, they, they say, uh, <laughs> what the heck did Dick Vermeil say? You're you're a legend or something, but you're part of this this community. You're like a rock mm-hmm. in the ground, so to speak. Everybody else left, you know. Yeah, brothers grew up and stuff, and they'd work a little bit at the ranch or something, but never stayed. And yeah, um, and even though you don't live there, you still work down there. Yeah, I still work there three days a week. I I feel good when I'm down there because I'm home. Yeah, I'll put it that way. I'm home. Yep, and. Uh, but uh, getting looking back is a long, long ways back. Mm-hmm. Well, you have anything else you want to talk about? Any more stories? Not that I know of, uh, you know, other than, you know, just old normal cowboy life, so to speak, <laughs> it was. I can say that because I went through it. Yep. People realize, don't, you know, you're not a cowboy. You, <laughs> you know. But uh, learn how to rope. By myself, we were all self-taught how to rope off horses Okay, through the ranch. Mm-hmm. Some of us were better than others um, because that's, that's a pretty dangerous thing because we always tied our ropes onto our saddle horns. Yeah. We didn't dally. Okay. So you get in trouble, you're hung. Yeah. Or if you could get to a pocket knife and try to cut your rope, mm-hmm. you know. And they was they was times that some of the boys you would have thought would have died from being drug or something or other. Yeah. Uh, one of my my best friends, um, he was after a steer and horse went up over the bank and stumbled and he had his lariat off and when the horse come back up he had to go off and it hooked his boot and that old Ooh. horse drug him for I don't know how long. And he was pretty much one of the fastest horses they had, so we couldn't catch him. Mm-hmm. And finally, he come into the corner of a fence line or something enough we could get him. Yeah, but he survived. I I would have thought, man, mm-hmm. it was all over. Yeah. Well, that's just like getting in a car. You don't know whether you're coming home or not. You get on a horse, same thing. Yep. You don't know if you're gonna get off of him or not. Mm-hmm. Well, it that's- was. That's all you got. I think we'll wrap this podcast up. That's about it. You know, the best of it, so to speak. (laughs) Sounds good. All right. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Tree Talking Media. And until next time, keep them talking in the timber.